Welcome to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kip Wilkinson. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life, the amazing triumphant times, and the winding journey in between. We all have a story to tell, and we hope that this podcast helps you in telling your own. On today's episode, we will discuss the transformation that happens after salvation. This isn't something that saves you, but rather the change that shows the fruit of what has taken place in your life. It's a crucial moment in telling your story to someone else because it reveals how Jesus has worked in your heart so that your life is a better reflection of his love. is one book that has had a major influence on your life I'm not a big reader so that's so it should be easier for you to answer no because by not a big reader there's been one book that I've actually read and finished since high school and that book is the first hunger games like All if, right. If you're talking like Bible study or... How has Katniss Everdeen influenced your life? She hasn't. If anything, rooted. Well, okay. I guess that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could always take the easy way and say scripture because that's something that I read. Non-Bible books. It can be a book about the Bible, but not the Bible. Just other books. I can't think of the name, but it's a Bob Coughlin book. I think it's called True Worship. I didn't finish it. Sorry, Taylor, if you're listening. But it was fantastic just looking at worship leading from a different perspective in kind of an everyday role, which is something that I had thought of before, but he just presented different truths in a different way. So that was that's pretty good. Yeah. What about you, Mr. Writer, Reader, All Things oh, Literature? Gosh. This is a really hard question to answer, but I got to say the last lecture by Randy Posh is really, really up there. So uh, basically, there's a small story behind it, but I heard about the book through an interview that he did uh, several years ago. Um, He was just promoting what he was writing. Um, talking about how, you know, you've been diagnosed with like stage, some stage four cancer. I can't remember what it was exactly. And he, what he knew he wasn't going to make it. And he was a professor um, at a really big name college. And he decided that he wanted to write down all the life lessons that he's learned for his kids. So that even though they wouldn't get to know him personally, they could get to know a little bit about him through the stuff that he wrote and taught. Um, so it was just a collection of these teachings and it was like half memoir, half like, you know, just life advice, I guess. Um, but it really stuck with me because when I read it, I was in uh, my freshman year of high school and I actually read it just a few months after my mom passed away. 
and a lot of it just it really stuck with me it's one i've revisited a few times i <laughs> this is bad to admit but i don't usually revisit books i usually read them retain as much as i can and then move on because i want to read as much as possible like i'm getting to a point where i read multiple books a week so going back is kind of a redundant thing for me i just try not to do it rub it in kip rub it in i know but for those who go back all all props to you i think that's great and there are books where you need to go back and this is one of them but it's just been life-changing for me um you know, as someone who lost a parent, to read something that a parent wrote to hand off to their kids was cool. There's nothing in there that's like, like really mind blowing or something that you weren't aware of. Um, it's just great little things about like how you should enjoy life and enjoy the little moments. Yeah, um, I totally get that. Totally get that. Yeah. More of a situational, influential book for me than it is. Right. And and in that sense, I don't get the loss of a parent. But I understand having a book that you can go back to. There was an, a, Having that conversation just now sparked another book that I've read since Bob Coughlin's. Uh, it's called The Road Back to You. It's about the Enneagram. Super popular subject right now in a lot of churches. Uh, pretty heavy in ours. And it's just about self-discovery, what kind of person you are. It's similar to like a Myers-Briggs or uh, any other personality type assessment that's out there. But there's not... The, the book, The Road Back to You, is about figuring it out for yourself. You don't take an assessment. It's just look at yourself, where are you at spiritually, and it's been super helpful to see and kind of put into words different parts of my personality and looking at where I'm at when I'm in a healthier place spiritually versus where I'm at when I'm not. Um, it's, it's a good read. And I've kind of been picking sections that apply to me more so than reading the whole book is why I haven't read the whole thing. But it's uh, it's been pretty interesting. Nice. I'm glad you didn't say the mocking Jay. So this week on our solo session, we're talking about what happens after you have that moment with Christ, you accept the gospel and it changes you. I think this is uh, one of the most challenging points in sharing your testimony with someone else. Um, it's actively offensive. It shows the contrast between who you once were and who you've become uh, through Christ and through knowing Him. Um, it, I think it's become more and more offensive uh, in our current culture because you know we now live in a society where people believe in the mindset of just do whatever makes you happy, whatever feels good. So when you step in and explain to someone that you were once living a lifestyle that was offensive to God and separated you from God, but after you met Jesus, you changed your actions and choices, then you're offending someone because you're saying that they need to do the same thing. Um, But this is not something that we can skip when we share our faith with someone, uh, even if it is offensive and even, you know, sometimes we might make someone angry. 
Um, you know, just as it's important to relay your past when you're sharing your story, it's equally important to relay your present state of being and where you're at now in your relationship with God. Um, and that's what we want to talk about in this episode, about the change that takes place after you come to believe in Jesus and what role that plays in telling your testimony. Absolutely. And I think it's important to, one, uh, before you share the change in your life, to look back at where you were at before, reflecting on that, so that when you share the gospel with someone else, you have a way of looking at it graciously, Mm -hmm. because we all have a past, and we all have a present. For non-Christians, non-believers, often their past and their present are the same. Right. There's not been any change. Uh, You know, Scripture says, when you accept Christ, you are made a new creation. And I think it's impossible. It's important to, um, to be gracious in that. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it's important to realize that before Christ, we were in the same boat they were. So you, when you're being literally and intently, intentionally offensive, you still want to do it with grace. While you're not accepting sin, it's important to still show love to the sinner. Yeah. Show compassion rather than condemnation. Absolutely. So like, you know, it'd be easy for me to go up to someone and, and, you know, pull the whole street preacher thing on them and, and scream at them and tell them they're going to hell. And that's just not what this is. It's not what we're trying to say. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, reaching that point in telling your story where you're, literally telling someone this is what Jesus did for me this is the thing that I was stuck in the thing that made me dead and because of him I'm now alive it's literally just a an example of how your life has changed so I mean I think a good example um man literally any episode that we've we've done so far I think you could look back on uh but one would be Colton True that's sticking out in my mind you know, he, he just talked about how he was stuck in a life of drug addiction, um, just trying to numb the pain that he felt. And then after he met Jesus and with some help, with the help of some rehab, uh, he got over that addiction and his life changed after that. Right. And it's important to note that while you are a new creation, that doesn't mean all your temptations, all your struggles, all your downfalls are going to go away. Right. Um, and just to reiterate, when, when I've made the statement, intentionally offending, we're not here to insult them. We're not here to harass, for lack of a better term. It's it's simply pointing out that there is a need for Christ because we all sin. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of this isn't to, you know, go to someone and tell them what's wrong with them. It's, and it's not to tell them that they need to change. 
the whole point of this section of your testimony is literally just to say this is how I changed. Um, you know, it's giving a testimony of what Jesus has done in, in your own life and what he's brought you out of. Uh, that does bring up an interesting question, though, that I want to talk about. Um, does it all happen at once? No, and there's a term in Christianese. It's called sanctification. Yes. And what that literally means is the act of being sanctified, or to simplify it even more, is becoming holy. That's never a complete process until you're in heaven. I like to say it's a lifelong oh, absolutely. process. Yeah. Every day you're being grown and stretched in a way to be more and more like Christ. And some days you're not going to look the same. Some days you're going to have, um, you know, there are days that I fall short tons, unfortunately. But I learn from them. I, I repent from it, which we'll talk on in, in a little bit. And then my goal is to never stay there, and it's always to take steps closer to Christ because the goal is sanctification. Yeah. I know this is, this is a funny story. I don't know if I've shared it on here before, but when I got uh, baptized, like on the right side of salvation. What does that mean? <laughs> as we Christians like to say. Uh, so sometimes people get baptized just to uh, take a swim, to, uh, take a swim, sure, uh, just, just to like become a member of a church or, you know, they think they're saved. They've, they think they've met Jesus and their life has changed and nothing's really happened. They just caught the camp fever or whatever. Um, but then there, there sometimes comes a moment in someone's life this is very much a protestant thing especially a baptist thing um where someone will meet jesus and it is the first time and it completely radically changes their life and then they realize that they have to they, they, they just need to get baptized again to show that it's real it's serious they've made this covenant with god and that's when they they go and get rebaptized. so that happened to me um you know, I, th- I thought I had gotten saved uh, my freshman year of high school. And then uh, about a year, year and a half later, I realized that wasn't really what was going on. And then God really did move and change my heart. And then I got baptized again um, on the right side of that event. But in that moment, um, you know, our pastor's about to dunk me in the tank of water and I just had this moment where I thought you know I'm gonna come up out of here and everything's gonna be radically different like I'm not gonna have any more problems with sin or struggles in my life like I'm not gonna wanna look at porn anymore or or like think about girls the wrong way or, or struggle with my depression or anything else crazy like that I came up out of the water everything is pretty much the same but I was I was on fire and I wanted to change and that is what spurred those changes in my life. Um, you know, it, it took a long time to get over some of those struggles. Um, and, you know, that's just, that's how it is. You know, you're not going to get saved and then automatically change. You know, some things are going to take a very long, long time. Um, 
you know, just an example, if you're, you're struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction or, or whatever it is, you know, that's something that literally physically is going to take you, it could take months, it could take years to overcome and get over. And that's okay. I mean, that's the important thing to know is that, you know, you're not going to change automatically. It's going to take some time. And that's that's totally fine. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. Which brings us to a really good question. Um, what is repentance? Because that's a big, another one of those Christian words that we use and throw around a lot. But what does it actually mean? So, back in the day, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, uh, the word repent was used to describe an action. If you realize you were doing something wrong, you would stop, correct the mistake, and, th- and that is an act of repenting. For example, if you're going through the Pizza Hut drive through you realize you meant to order for the superior Papa John's, then you would turn around and go to the correct direction. You, Papa you, John's I agree. A lot of people disagree, but I agree. So with that being said, on a more serious example, if you're hiking and, and you realize I'm off the path, I'm I'm getting lost, it's getting dark, you're going to immediately stop and go the complete opposite direction where you came from to find where you need to go to get back on the trail. And that's super relatable, in my opinion, to the Christian walk. We often describe our faith as a journey, as a walk. And so if you're heading, you know, in sanctification, you're walking, walking, air quotes, down the path of righteousness, and then you realize you veered off course, you're making poor decisions, you're starting to go back to old habits, repentance is, I have to stop this right now. That doesn't mean you're not going to veer off again, but that means you're going to do everything in your power to continue to glorify God through your actions and to get back to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. So all that to say, it's it's really just doing a 180 from sin. Not for real. Spot on. And of course, I, I like that uh, hiking example because if you get lost in the woods, and we've all been there, well, I guess us weird people who hike, um, you know, you have tools to help you get back on track. You know, you can open up a map and look at a map. You can pull out a compass. You can use landmarks, uh, the stars if it's night, which would be horrifying. I didn't um, do that before. <laughs> you know, the, the position of the sun in the sky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sounds, creaks, the side of the, the tree that the mosque is on. I could go on forever. I'm obviously way too into the outdoors. But you have all these tools at your disposal to help you get back on track, and it's the same with us. Um, you know, we have the scripture, the Bible that can help us get back into the right direction. Uh, we can get accountability partners who help us go where we need to go. Um, you know, pastors and, and small group leaders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these people in our lives who can help us get back on track. Uh, it makes me think of King David. I think he's a really good example of who's that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> He's a really, well, some people might not know, um, but he is uh, a Bible character. <clears throat> um, 
you know, he's one of the the really really great kings of Israel. Is he though? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about. But um, you know, he won a lot of battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a good portion of the Bible, like like the, a lot of psalms, a lot of <laughs> psalms. Like the I think biggest book in the Bible. A th- it's either a third or two thirds of the psalms were written by David. Right. Um, like he was a very celebrated, revered uh, leader of Israel. Like even, you know, he even won uh, this battle where they they got to bring back the Ark of the Covenant that was stolen. You might know him though from David and Goliath. Uh, you know, the guy, the little kid who took a, a stone and a slingshot and slayed a giant in a battle. Also known as a man after God's own heart. Exactly. But before he became known by that title, he actually did something really bad. Um, Which something? He did a few things. Well, one in specific thing that led to a a bunch of big things. Mm -hmm. But he was out on his his roof or his patio, whatever you want to think, however you want to think of it. I think of him on his patio. Uh, And he looks over across the rooftops and... He sees uh, Bathsheba, uh, just this woman across the way, and she's on her rooftop and she's taking a bath. And he decided he wanted to pursue her in the wrong way. Um, And she was a married woman. And he knew that. And he knew that going into it um, because her husband was one of the men in his army. So after he pursued her and, you know, made a big mess of things, he decided in order to kind of cover up his mistakes, he would assign her husband to go into this battle on basically a suicide mission. And the guy got killed. And David continued to pursue this relationship with this woman. And it all snowballed. Um, eventually, one of the prophets, uh, one of the teachers at the time, confronted him uh, because God had revealed to him what was going on. And he called him out. And he's like, David, dude, this is not... This is not working. You cannot be doing this. And in that instant, David like fell to his knees and cried out to God in prayer and begged God to change his heart and change his life and bring him back to him. And from that point on, everything changed. And that's after that was the moment that he became known as the man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just, I mean, that's an excellent example. So what you're saying is somebody who had an affair, committed murder, was still able to be known as God, a man after God's own heart. That's right. So obviously that's got to have some impact on us today. That's right. There's, I mean, there's literally nothing that you can do on either side of the line, whether you've not met Jesus yet, or if you've met Jesus already, there's whatever camp you're in there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from god permanently if you're willing to turn to him humble yourself and say god i really messed up and i need you like his grace is beyond sufficient and he will cover up any multitude of sin that you have and i think that's a beautiful picture and reminder for for us me and Kip here, um, as well as anyone else listening to this, is whether Kip said you know Christ or not, 
repentance, true repentance, and in accepting Christ as Lord, it it's freeing because you're not bound by that. But you're also, I know for me, I have the desire and the and the strive to to repent. Before Christ, it, I didn't really care. I mean, I, I knew what was right and I tried to do what was right, but at the end of the day, what what did it matter? It was very legalistic. It was, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do this. Whereas now it's, I'm doing this because I want to do this. And more importantly, I don't want to do that. That does Again, that doesn't mean that there aren't moments where our flesh fails us. Because it will. We're human. But... God's grace is so much greater. That's right. Why do we need to change? If grace is that much greater, if it doesn't matter on what other side we're on, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> why do we need to change, Kep? What's the point? It's a good question. Um, it's something I struggled with for a long time. But I, I think, and you kind of alluded to this, I think it comes down to um, the desire to want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an illustration of it this way. So there's, there's speed limits here where we live, right? I'm driving down the road and there's usually a sign every little while that says 35 miles an hour. I'm going to be honest. I don't like where you're going with this. <laughs> and I, I should obey that sign. I should say, okay, I'm going to stay within that range, give or take five miles an hour, um, because the law says so, and I should obey what the law says, and that's the right thing to do, it's the good thing to do, it's the safe thing to do, I don't want to get a ticket, um, you know, I don't want to be punished for it, and that's all good, and that's one perspective, but I'll tell you what, when my fiance is in the car with me, my perceptive of those speed limits radically changes. Because it no longer becomes about, I don't want to be punished for speeding. It becomes more, I don't want to risk getting her hurt by me being an idiot and going 50 into 35. So it's the same way with our relationship with God. You know, the perspective changes um, in how we view these things that God says we shouldn't do. Um, these things that we need to change in our lives. We, we could obey what he says to do out of fear of being punished and suffering from those punishments, be it here or after we die. Or we could follow those commandments and trust that they're going to help us know him more and love him more. Um, you know, I just, you think of the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's very interesting when you look at each of them and how they they relate to Jesus' ultimate commandment to love your neighbor as yourself and love God with your, your whole heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you break each one down individually, they relate back to that one command. Um, so that shall not kill, for example. If you're killing somebody, you're not loving them. Fair enough. Um, if you steal from your neighbor, you're not loving them. Um, if you cheat on your spouse, you're not showing them love. Uh, if you create idols, 
you're not loving God. Um, if you put anything in your heart above above God, then you're not loving God, etc., etc., etc. But they all point back to that one thing. Um, man, my thoughts are all jumbled now. I might have to. Edit well, this. For me, what pops into head is as a kid, you're told by your parents, look both ways before crossing the street. As a kid, I don't know about you, but me, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Why do I have to look both ways before I cross the street? I can hear if a car's coming. I'm just going to go. So it, it doesn't make sense, and it sounds stupid, and it sounds annoying. But it's put in place for our own good. Right? Yes. So with that in mind, knowing that God has our best intentions in mind, so sometimes it's it's not always easy to do what we want to do or not always easy to avoid what we don't want to do. It's a good reminder that God wants what's best for us, period. Mm-hmm. Romans 8, 28. For he works together all things to the good of those who are called according to his will. And so in those moments when you're having a, an inward struggle, I guess, just remember that. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I know one side of it that I'm considering while we're discussing it is that I want to know God more. Um, like like we've been saying, that's kind of the whole point. I read Letters to the Church recently by Francis Chan. Really good book. Really challenging. Uh, but one thing he says, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this like crazy, but he's talking about how Jesus promises that during the course of our lives we're going to suffer. Uh, bad things are going to happen to us, but we should rejoice in that because it helps us know him more. And he just kind of illustrates this picture of, you know, imagine you're going through the whole process with Jesus when he's getting he's getting whipped, basically, with the cat of nine tails. And he's sitting there, and they're whipping him. And then imagine you're right there next to, next to him going through the same suffering. And then you get to look over and look into his eyes and... You get to see the the pain that he's going through and experience it and feel it at the same time. And you get to see and understand and know the love that he has for you because he's going through this, not just because he has to, but because he wants to and because he loves you and wants to rescue you. And that, golly, that blew my mind. I'd never thought of it that way. Um, but in the same way, like every every morning when I wake up, I have to choose to lay aside my own own wants and desires in order to know him more. You know, that might be really, really unfun some days. I might wake up and, you know, just want to be a jerk all day. But then I have to lay that aside and say, well, I'm going to choose to love other people so that I can better understand how he loves me and sees me. Yeah. So like every morning when we wake up, we have to choose, I'm going to be different. I'm going to love God and try to see 
how he loves me and then I'm going to reciprocate that by loving the people who are made in his image. And that's a that's a great example and way to describe carrying your cross daily. Mm-hmm. So it's it's making that decision to do the difficult thing sometimes when you're having a bad day. Yeah. People are being jerks and you just want to be a jerk back. People aren't being lovable, but loving them anyway. Um, or just serving somebody who needs it. So as, as a Christian, we're called to be like Christ. And Christ was literally all things to all people. So that should be our goal. While that may not ever be the possibility because we're flawed, we're humans, we're not God. That should be the goal. Mm-hmm. To to be different, to be set apart, and to to glorify Christ in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, daily. Yep, I think in doing that, I no, I don't think I believe and know that in doing that, we will come to know Him more. Um, when I see a homeless person on the side of the street, and I go out of my way to show them love and respect and buy them a meal and just take a moment and pray with them and just talk to them as a human being, I get a glimpse into what God's love for me looks like because he literally did the same thing for me. I'll I'll say this too, like, man, you know, Jesus says that when it's all said and done on the last day, we'll all come in front of him. And he'll say one of two things. And one of those things will be either that he knows us or that he doesn't know us. And I am I am terrified of the idea of reaching the end of the line and Jesus saying, I don't know you. So I, I want to do everything that I can in this life. I want to lay aside everything that I have in order to know him more so that when that day comes I'll be welcomed with an open embrace as a friend and not as a stranger that he's never seen or, or heard or or spoken to before. And I want to clarify that just so that there's no uh, misinterpretation of what Kip's saying there is we're not saying you are saved by works. Oh yeah. So first and foremost, knowing Christ is the the importance there. Salvation is not works-based. Mm-hmm. You are saved by grace through faith, not of anything that you can do. But when you do accept Christ, when you call on his name as Lord and Savior, as this whole episode's about, there is a change so that you want to do works and glorify God through that. But again, I just wanted to make sure there was no confusion there that we are not, we firmly believe you are not saved through works while that is a part of it. And you can't have faith without works and you can't have works without faith. That is not what saves you. Exactly. The whole changing process is literally so you can know him more. Absolutely. So the question that 
we need to answer now is why should we discuss this with other people when we share our testimony? Uh, why do we share? Part of it goes back to vulnerability. Being willing to offend somebody for the sake of the cross is pretty important. Being bold and knowing that nobody's perfect. That that is a life or death situation. I, I've said that in the past, but it really is. So if you're not afraid, if you're not willing to hurt somebody's feelings potentially in order to save their life, do you care? I know for me, if, if somebody was, if I was going to get run over or get in a wreck and all somebody had to do was offend me to save my life, offend me, please. <laughs> because it's, it's more important. The, the risk is far greater. Or, excuse me, the reward is far greater than the risk, not the other way around. If, if you can share how Christ has changed you and that, and that becomes somebody's moment where they get to, to know Christ themselves, it's worth the risk. Literally, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform. Again, that's underscore M as in mountain, V as in valley podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Micah Horvath and Kip Wilkinson. All of our original music has been produced by Robert Luther. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story.